John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 16. Oh, we all know it very well indeed. But let's read it. John chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Will you just let your eye run down to the very last verse, verse 36 of John chapter 3. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Let me read that verse one more time. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I want to speak this evening on the title, God Has Wrath. God Has Wrath. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, Listen to what it says. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Then in the same chapter, Deuteronomy 4, verse 31, it says, For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 15, we are told, For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest, notice, the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee off the face of the earth. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 7 and verse 11. Listen to this. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, the word angry here is the word za'am. And I need you to catch this for the next few moments to show you exactly what is happening here, what the psalmist is speaking about. The word za'am for angry means to express indignation, to be enraged. It means, gives the idea of someone or something foaming at the mouth with anger. It means to be enraged with the intention of punishment to be meted out. Now, with all of this in mind, think of it. The psalmist says, God is angry. He has indignation. He is enraged as though foaming at the mouth to be enraged with intention of punishment, and he will meet it out. He is angry with the wicked. Listen, 
every day. Every day. Now listen to Malachi chapter 1 and verse 4. And this speaks of Edom. Edom are the descendants of Esau. Esau who sold his birthright for a pottage of stew or soup or lentils. Listen to what it says about the descendants of Esau. For example, Herod the baby killer. He was a Jew by religion, but he was an Edomite by by race. Notice what he says about this. The people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. This is the same word za'am for here whenever we are looking at this. It's the same word right through for God is angry with the wicked every day. That's Old Testament is the modern day church politically correct liberal cry. That's Old Testament. It's all about love now. It's all about grace. We are New Testament Christians. Don't you know, preacher, that that sort of preaching is just hard? It's harsh. It's fear tactics. It's scaremongering. And it would put people off. Don't you realize to preach those things, it's not acceptable in the 21st century. Have you not read, preacher, John chapter 3 and verse 16? Well, yes, we have, just there now. For God so loved the world. Have you not read 1 John chapter 4, verses 8, and then again in verse 16, where we're told God is love. God is love. Preacher, have you not read in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 10, where it says, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but He loved us and sent us, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Have you not read that preacher? And, the, and the, I, the word I have to say back is yes, many times. Notice, we would not need propitiation for our sins if there was not a wrath against the Christ rejecter. Think about it. He did send His Son because He loved us. He did send His Son to die on the cross for us. He did send His Son to shed His precious blood for us. He did that you and I might be saved, that we might not come under condemnation because we're already under condemnation. Notice this, the word propitiation. Do you not know what means wrath averted? Preacher, do you not know, pastor, have you never heard that Propitiation means that Jesus is the aversion of God's wrath on us. And absolutely, yes, and I agree 100% with every one of these scriptures. Absolutely, 100%. But if you are to tell a people who are in their sin, if you are to tell a people who have rejected Christ time after time, if you're to tell the people, then they're all right because Jesus died, live as you like and go as you please and be a Christ rejecter, then you, my friends, are not loving them, but rather you're sending them to a devil's hell. Oh, but your heart, oh. I remember one time someone said it and I said it and someone else took it and put it up on a, on a post on their Facebook page. And I said, I may not be a politically correct preacher, but I would rather offend you into heaven than nurse you into hell. Wrath averted was when Jesus died on the cross, God's wrath was poured out upon him. 
His wrath against me was poured out upon him. Against you, his wrath against you was poured out upon him. But we must accept what he has done. We must accept him as our payment, our only payment for sin. We must accept him that he has paid our debt. There is no method, there is no other means for salvation but through him. And those who do not then, they are still under the wrath of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, preacher says, we love him because he first loved us. Yes, and that's true. I mentioned it again this morning. And I'll tell you, but it's to God's people. John is speaking to the church here. He's speaking to those in Christ. Have you not read 1 John chapter 18? Listen to what it says. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. But preacher, have you not read that? Perfect love of God casts out all fear. And I agree with it, brothers and sisters, 100%. To those who are in Christ. To those who are saved. The word here for perfect, let me read it. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because feareth torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The word perfect is a word, teleos. And it means a love of maturity, a love in completeness. It's used twice, actually, in this reading and rendering as a, 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 it runs one after the other. It means a perfectly perfect love or a completely complete love. That's the words here. And then we realize the perfectly perfect love of Christ toward us that we have accepted because he died for us. Then we realize we're at perfect peace with him. We're in completion of that peace. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, people will throw that at me, and I'm sure I'll get somebody send me something online, maybe even on email. I don't know. You get it all over the place. Uh, you're, and they sit, and they're their little armchair generals with their keyboard in front of them, and they've done nothing for God. And they're, uh, and they're sitting there with their little pointy heads, and they're sitting there wanting to wait and see what the preacher said next to try and get it wrong. Do you not know that preacher? Well, I'll tell you, yes, I do. But let's take it in its context. The verse before it, 1 John 4 and 17, let's listen to this. Herein is our love made perfect. Completely complete, perfectly perfect. Herein is our love made perfect that we, that's you and I, the believers, that we may have boldness. Will you say boldness? boldness. Will you say it one more time? Boldness. That we may have boldness. When? the day of judgment. Then you can bring the next verse in and you can ask them, are you completely complete and perfectly perfect in the love and peace of God? Changes, doesn't it? That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Notice, because as he is, so are we in this world. Because as Christ is, so are we. Now listen, brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't want to get into a doctrinal debate even more online, but many Pentecostals, and I'm a Pentecostal, 
Many Pentecostals stroke charismatics like to think, well, because he is, we are on this earth. We're like many gods. That's not what it means. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. And because he is, his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection has been given to me and to you who are in Christ. So when the Father looks at me, there's no wrath. When the Father looks at you, there's no wrath because you're in Jesus. When the Father looks at you, he looks at you through the avenue of his Son, and he sees nothing but the blood that you're trusting in. That's what's happening here. That we may have boldness. I want to look at this for a moment. For example, the word boldness is the word parousia, and it means to have confidence, to speak openly and freely to have confidence to do so. That in the day of judgment, there's going to be those who have confidence before the throne. Confidence before the Lord Jesus Christ. Confidence when others are being cast away. That's tragic. That's horrific. That's terrible. Listen, this is what the Word of God says, not what I'm saying that we may have boldness, confidence. Listen, let me show you a few other scriptures where this word for boldness or confidence, parousia, is the Apostle Paul, at the end of Acts chapter 28 and verse 31, we're told of this about him, under persecution of the Jews for quite some time. Then it comes to a point in the place we're told, Acts 28, 31, that he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. With all confidence. Paul felt that he could go out and that he could preach the kingdom of God and the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. A man who has been hated. A man who had died on a cross. A man whom the Jews reviled as a bastard son of Mary. And Paul, with confidence and boldness, stands up and he steps out and he preaches salvation in the person of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same word, panacea. And while all others are wanting to kill him and to stone him and send him to the Roman Senate, while all others are looking for him to be dead, he had confidence. He had confidence in Christ. Friend, can I ask you tonight, in whom and in what is your confidence for eternity? In whom and in what is your confidence for eternity? Here's, here's something else. Let me show you it again. You've heard this many times, Christian. Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word here for boldly, let us come boldly, is parousia. It's the same, for confidence, for boldness in the day of judgment. In other words, you and I are not like the, the high priest of Israel who could only go in behind the curtain, the veil, once a year to, 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 to sprinkle the blood on the furniture in the, in the tabernacle. 
But now the, the, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom when Jesus, the Lamb of God, shed His blood once and for all. And He cried, it is finished. And when that veil was torn too, you and I had free access every day, every place, every moment of every time into the presence of God to the throne of grace. I have confidence when I stand to pray tonight. Not because of my uh, great oratory. I don't have great oratory. Not because of any great uh, words of wisdom that I may have. I don't have that. I'm just a Belfast backstreet boy who left school without any exams. No, friend. My confidence is that I have boldness, not irreverence. Boldness, confidence that I can stand before my Father. That He will hear me when I pray. And why? Because I'm trusting in Jesus because of the finished work of Calvary, because of the shed blood of the Lamb, because I'm saying Christ is more than enough for me. And so I have confidence to enter into his presence. So, 1 John 4, 17 says that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. The word judgment needs looked at now. It's the word crisis. Listen to what it means. Listen, there's a few things that it means. I want you to catch it because it's important. Kinesis gives the idea of separating or putting asunder. Separating or putting asunder. That we'll have confidence in the day when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll say to the sheep, come sit in my right hand. He'll say to the goats to the left, the part I never knew you. It's the idea of it. He will judge. It also means, gives the idea of, listen, sentence of condemnation. Sentence of condemnation. Guilty as charged. Or it means damnatory judgment and punishment. Now stay with me. It means sentence of condemnation, damnatory judgment, and punishment. Let me give you an example of this. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 5, please, just across the page or two. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in John 5, verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall hear, they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which that all that are in their graves in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which 
hath sent me. Notice this. Verse 22. Judgment has been given unto the Son to meet out. Verse 24. Those who believe in him shall not come under, notice, condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. Verse 27. He says, And he hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Verse 29, And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And verse 30, I judge, and my judgment is just. Now listen. Judgment in verse 22. Condemnation, verse 24. Judgment in verse 27. Damnation in verse 29. Judgment in verse 30. Every single one of them used the Greek word krisis. We may have boldness in the day of judgment. Every one of them that Jesus, that's the words of Jesus now, not me. It's the words, the word krisis. Every single time it's mentioned. John chapter 16, turn with me if you will. Notice what it says here. Verse 8. Shorter reading, verse 8 to 11. This is speaking of Jesus dying, rising, ascending to heaven, and the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, coming. Verse 8, he says, John 16 and 8, And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, that is, he will reprove the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Notice the Holy Spirit now will reprove the word of sin and of righteousness. Notice, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit, sweet, gentle dove. Now, he's in the agency here of showing men and women judgment. That's what he's doing tonight. Notice what it says here. Righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9. Of sin because they believe not in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Do you know what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is saying this. He's saying... The prince of this world, who is the devil, he's going to be judged. And do you see if God lets you into his heaven, into his kingdom? See if he lets you in bypassing the cross, then he'll have to let the devil in. And he'll have to apologize to the devil if he lets you in and doesn't let him in. Because the devil will be judged all sin will. Jesus. Hebrews 9, verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this, the judgment increases again. It's the same word. 2 Peter 2, and verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, Peter says. This is the Bible, friends. This is the Bible, brothers and sisters. This isn't me making this up. This is God's manifesto to the human. This is God speaking to men and women. He says there is a day and an hour where either death comes or his son comes from heaven and there will be judgment. Are you saved? We don't hear it too many places now. Preachers are afraid to preach it. Afraid to offend. I told you I'd rather offend you into heaven. I'd rather offend you to stir your heart 
to hear the word of God and say, I need saved, or I must get right. And to leave this place and someday go to hell. Notice this, 2 Peter 3 and 7. Listen to what he says. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, notice, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter said that. That's in the Bible. There's it on the screen. It's in the Bible. You know, the case is today, if you want Jesus to bless you, come up here. Look how many people get saved. There's 20, 30 people up here. They want another blessing. Come on, there's more coming to get saved. That's not salvation, friend. That is not salvation. Salvation is a crisis point of the life. Salvation is a quickening of the Holy Ghost. Salvation is a man and a woman coming alive and realizing they're a sinner in need of a Savior and seeing Christ as their only means and method of salvation. Salvation is the Holy Ghost taking His own precious Word and like a chariot riding furiously into the hearts of men and women. That's salvation, friend. Salvation isn't come walk up to the altar, bow down and say a nice wee prayer. Salvation isn't in the rituals of church. Salvation isn't in the robes and the day gone fish miter hats. Salvation isn't in kissing the pontiff ring or the bishop ring. Salvation is in none other but in Christ. Amen. Nowhere else. And this day, this day of judgment is coming. It's coming. I don't know when. But, oh, friend, be ready. Where's your confidence? Are you confident you stand before God? Are you confident when you stand before him that you can say, saved by grace, unto him who hath loved me and washed me from my sins in his own blood? Are you confident when you have boldness in that day? So 1 John 4 Verse 17 and 18. I think next time someone reads it to you, you'll think differently and tell them to read the previous verse from verse 18. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Yes, it's true. God is love. God is love. But love is not all that God is. Love is not all that God does. Love is not all that God has. God is love, and love is an attribute of God. He's a spirit. That's an attribute. There's many other attributes we could go through. His, his omnipresence. We could go through many of them, but the love of God, He is love. He is love. It's, for example, the, the, the definition of attribute is this, a quality or a feature regarded as a characteristic or an inherent part of someone or something. Look, do you know what it means? It means he is what he is, what he's always been. Love. And if you can't see love, here it is that when Adam fell in the garden and Adam's race took Adam's germs, and whenever we all became sinners because of one man's disobedience and sin entered into the earth and death came from sin, and because of that, 
Because of that, then you and I will die and go to the grave. And you and I are under condemnation Do we go to the grave outside of Christ. We're under the condemnation of God. We're guilty as charged. Even our very nature, it's not about doing good. You can do good all your life, but your very core of your own characteristics and attributes, something that is attributed to the human flesh, is depravity. Sinfulness. People don't realize it. Christ had to come to die even for that. That no matter how good I am, I'm never good enough. No matter how good you are, you're never good enough. But Christ came to lay the axe at the root. Love is an attribute of God. It's a feature regarded as a characteristic or an inherent part of someone or someone's being. God is love, but God has wrath. I I was talking to Gary yesterday. There's a point here I wanted to bring over, and I'm 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 not really going to bring it over, but I think it's important because I'm sure I will get a few people wondering about this one. An attribute of God is who he is. I find it hard to believe that wrath is an attribute of God, but it's what he has. But here's something to think about for those who are more theological-minded. You, you can close your ears to this, but if you're not, God's wrath may be the inherent nature of God acting out his holiness against sin. God is so holy, he cannot have it. It's God has an attribute called justice. It's God's attribute of justice, building in wrath, that this is a sinner. So, 1 John 4, 17 and 18, he says that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Verse 18, he says, perfect love casteth out fear. Brothers and sisters, if you can listen to this for a moment while I read this to you. In the day of judgment, this is when the completeness of love's work in us will be demonstrated. I want you to try and get this. As much as we can know it now, we will know it all the more in the day of judgment. You see, you may know you're a sinner now, but you will really know it when you're in the day of judgment. You may know you're not better in yourself than those who are going to hell, but you will really know it in the day of judgment. You may know the reality of hell now, but you will really know it in the day of judgment. You may know the greatness of Jesus' salvation now, but you will really know it in the day of judgment, believer, because you won't be there. When I see people who weren't even as bad as me in my past, who have rejected Christ and go to hell, I will see how great the love of God is. 
And I will realize how real that damnation was. And that condemnation was on me. But I will realize the greatness of Christ's salvation. Because I will see where I should have been. Where others are headed. Christ has kept me from it all. Can you get it? What a Savior. What a God. What a Christ. Yes, God is love, but God has wrath. John 3, verse 16, please. John chapter 3 and verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved. Notice God loved. And in verse 16, God gave. God so loved the word that he gave. God loved and God gave. God so loved the word that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent. Notice, God sent. God loved, God gave, God sent. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Here is a word going to hell in a handcart, as it were. And the big heart of love sent the darling of his bosom for somebody like me, for somebody like you. Now I reject him and we're still under condemnation. On our way to damnation without justification no redemption or salvation. <coughs> God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Here's what this tells me in verse 16. Why did God send his son? First of all, because mankind in verse 16 is perishing. Every one of us, uh, I've put on my nice suit and my shirt and my tie, uh, and I'm, I'm, I even got my hair cut yesterday trying to make yourself more presentable, although people are telling me off because I've got a beard. Trying to make yourself a bit more presentable. Wearing my nice shoes, look, and doing my best. But you see under it, it's rotten. <laughs> Flesh. Put my aftershave on, still rotten. It's dying. It's perishing. And the soul goes with it. God sent his only son because the world was perishing. In verse 17, he sent him because the world needs saved. In verse 18, he sent him because the world is condemned already and he must go to bring men, many sons of glory out of it. And when we get to verse 36, let's read John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath 
everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, God sent the Son because his wrath, his wrath every day was on me. And I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Romans 1 and verse 18, listen to what Paul says. He says that after giving a list of men and women who are living uh, licentious lifestyles, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who hold not the truth in righteousness. Romans chapter 2 and verse 5, listen again. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is New Testament now. We've been in John, 1 John 4. We've been in John 5. We've been in John 16. Now we're, we've been in John chapter 3. And then we've been in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2. We're getting to chapter 5 next. It's New Testament. There's still wrath. You see, God is still God. Romans 5 and 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood. That's the saved. I'm just as if I'd never sinned. Being justified by his blood, listen, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Oh, friends, if you have your pen and pencil right, Galatians 5.19. Read Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 7. And let's look at Colossians chapter 3, all New Testament, verses 5 and 6. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. Mortify therefore your members which are on the earth. Listen, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. That's New Testament. Now, I don't really watch the very rare time some of the Christian channels. I haven't heard anything like this once. I haven't heard it. Mortify therefore your members which are on the earth. Notice he mentions five things. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For example, fornication here is the word pornia or pornea. You know what it means? Illicit sexual behavior. Adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality is linked in there. Incest. Pornography, and metaphorically speaking, it means worshipping idol gods, bowing at statues, and worshipping other people. Using them as gods, and God says, you're like a harlot to me. I'll judge you for that. Secondly, he mentions uncleanness, or carthia. 
It means impurity, lustfulness, and irresponsible living. And God says, just the wrath of God is against men like this, women like this. Inordinate affection is thirdly, and it's a word pathos. It can mean love. It can mean from a heart's desire. You can love something with pathos. You can feel love for someone and compassion. But here, it gives the idea of depraved passions. Depraved passions. Evil concupiscence is the word epithysema. And it means a longing for what is forbidden and to lust after it. Covetousness means greediness, eager to have more than what you have and what is not your own. Oh, I see all of this put in. I see a young man radicalized and put in, going into a, 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 a place in Manchester and bullying up wee children and adults. And he thinks he's going to go to God. Oh, he may be going to his God for his God's from the abyss. I see institutionalized pedophilia in the Roman church. I see gay pride marching through the streets Cavorting men with men and women with women while shoppers are walking with their little children. Men who are stripped almost naked, cavorting one with another in our city centers. And listen, that's child abuse. See, murderers of wee ones, rapists. Our nation is going to hell. The wrath of God is on it. Evangelical Ulster, what? That were reformed Ulster. Sure, even in the pulpits. There's more clowns in there are in Duffy Circus. <laughs> Isn't that true? Brothers and sisters, the wrath of God. God has wrath. I'm going to read some scriptures as I finish this. Thank you for your attention. Revelation 6 and 16 and 17. Listen to what it says about men crying in the day of Christ. He says, they'll cry to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Oh, you see, big bad God, eh? God's full of love. We'll not be there, believer. We'll not be crying this, believer. What about gentle Jesus, meek and mild? You know the wee pictures of people putting their wall on these like this? The little, the little hearts and all around them, and all this sort of stuff. What about this lovely Jesus who the hippie movement took in the 70s or the late 60s and early 70s and started smoking their dope around and saying they're getting closer in the spiritual realm to Christ? This sort of flower power Christian mentality is bringing men and women to a devil's hell. 
And there's too many in the pulpits are allowing them to go. Oh, friends, listen to this about gentle Jesus making mind. Listen. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And from the wrath of the Lamb. That's Jesus. For the day, great day of his wrath has come, verse 70. Revelation 14 and 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. God wouldn't send people to hell. God wouldn't allow this to happen. I think when I get there, St. Peter will open the party gates for me and ask me a little joke and a question and see if I get it right. My word. It's fire and brimstone burning. Listen, in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, Christ will be there and see it. <coughs> Revelation 19, verse 15, coming, the coming, conquering Christ. Listen to this. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress, notice, of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. That's the New Testament. That's the last book in the New Testament. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, reading from verse 7, says, And to you who are troubled with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. When Christ comes, we're going to be glorified. We will admire him, for he has saved us from the wrath of God. But others will have eternal punishment. And why, he says, because our testimony was believed among you in that day. You know he said? Paul's saying, because you believe the word, you'll be saved. God is love. God has wrath. Now the question is, are you under condemnation and his wrath? Or are you under the blood? God bless his word to us tonight. I know that's been somber, a sobering message. I know it's been a hard message even. But let's stay true to what the word is. Let's stay true to the Word of God. Let's tell people their need of a Savior and to be saved. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord.